Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hey guys, happy to be back here with another episode for you all. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down and talking with Lena Boyson-Hillstad. She's a member of the nonstop team and a 25-time world champion. We got to talking a little bit about the secrets behind her success and what her training program looks like. But before we dive in, I want to remind you guys that I too like a little positive reinforcement in the form of reviews. Reviews help us connect with other like-minded dog people so that we can keep spreading the word and growing. So if you're enjoying the content that you've been listening to, be sure to give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're on. And now let's dive into the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we've got another special guest. We are joined by Lena Boyson-Hillstad. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. So before we kind of dive into our topic for the day, talk to us a little bit about how you got started in dogs. Um, it's a funny story because I got a puppy from the Santa Claus and uh, it was just a coincidence that it was a kind of a sled dog. It was a German shorter pointer, which was very common to use in Norway for pulka and skiing. And my father started and after a while, I, yeah, I started to compete too. And I was five years at the time. So it was quite early. So you've been involved in dog sled sports for a very long time. Yeah, for forever, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And it's a family affair too. You certainly got started with your family and, and now everyone kind of enjoys these sports. Talk to us a little bit about how that started. Uh, yeah, for, for my childhood, it was my father, not my mother, but she was always around cooking and waiting for us uh, while we were out training. And um, as you probably know, there's a very good uh, milieu um, gathering of people, young people, old people. Yeah, it's a very nice place to be both for uh, adults and kids. So we, uh, my father and I was doing this until I moved from home, actually, and he was training with me every day always helping me with the dogs and um, yeah he, he has been a big part of the progress and also uh, the development of the sport actually international and we we had a we had a lot of big great races in Norway inviting people from Europe and before we it was allowed to travel because when rabies was um, an issue we couldn't uh, travel from Norway and back then we had to have four months quarantine so it started out very difficult kind of and expensive uh, but now it's uh, yeah you just take the shot and we travel all over so uh, I just I, I met my husband uh, through this sport and uh, our kids they didn't actually have any choice but our oldest Julia she's now uh, trying to be a good golfer uh, She's in a golf college in the U.S. So, but Andre, our youngest son, he's really into the sport and all of us, all the three of us. Now you mentioned traveling quite a bit for the sport. What other countries have you been to, to compete? Um, we normally compete a lot in Scandinavia, of course. 
and in um, Europe and in the US, uh, Alaska, Canada. Uh, we have all also been in uh, Australia, but not with our own dogs because it's difficult to travel with uh, a long travel, expensive, and also all the vaccinations and stuff. But we, uh, we try to go as far as we can go, uh, but mainly Europe and the US. I know that you're involved personally in a lot of different sports. Uh, you mentioned ski, jor, polka. Is there a certain sled dog sport that you enjoy more than the others? Um, I like snow, uh, just because snow, sun, action, uh, yeah, we're born that way uh, here in Norway. So we, I think everyone enjoys snow a lot. But I also think doing scooter two dogs is very fascinating, very fast. Uh, unexpected things can happen. And I like when we are on the edge of what's uh, smart, maybe. Uh-huh. I like that. <laughs> so no, I, I prefer action. So if the sled dogs trails were a little more, um, yeah, if they were in the cross country trails with more turns, more up and downs, more action, that would also be really cool. But uh, yeah, when the when the trails are filled with action, then it's fun, no matter what I do on it. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I, I enjoy when things are a little unexpected, when the turns are more interesting, uh, kind of yeah. keeps it more interesting for the dogs, I find as well. Yeah, sure. Sure. So give us a little overview to some of the things that you and your family have accomplished in your time in sled dog sports. Are there anything, or any big moments in particular that stand out for you? Uh, not actually, because... I don't like to talk about this. It's better that that, that other people do that. But uh, being a world champion uh, with 25 years between, uh, from 25 times from 1991 to 2017, I think uh, that is the the biggest yeah achievement or result just yeah. to be able to do that. But there's been so many great championships, so many great races, and uh, you don't necessarily have to win. You just have to have the good feeling. So uh, a good example is uh, Andre, our son, uh, winning the bronze medal for the Norwegian Championship Relay this weekend. And he started out far behind as number six when he had the last lap. And he... uh, he beat, uh, yeah, he, he came in as number three. And then that can also be big. So it just uh, it doesn't matter what it is. It just, uh, the, the good feeling can come whenever, actually. I love <laughs> so, that. But we, we also had great uh, uh, races in, in the Alps, in Europe, high mountains, 14 days in a row. Lot of TV action, champagne, like the the car um, sports, and uh, I think that's fun too. Uh, so uh, it's so many things, and you always remember the last ones best. But uh, like the last world championship for me was in 2000, 2017 in Canada, and I was eighteen seconds behind after the first day, and then I won after two days with the three hundreds. And that's great, of course, but then 
it's so many good things. And as uh, someone else said earlier, for the dogs, they don't care about the results. They just want to have a good time. And I think it's, it's a little bit like this for us too. But of course, when you put so much effort in it, you, you want to perform too. And it's just uh, telling you that you did the right, right things along yeah. the way. But, but the, the start from when you start to train and until you finish your race, that's the fun part the way until you're going to the start. I think that's so important too, to, for people to hear from somebody who has found so much success that it's not about winning. Winning is great, but it's about that feeling of you and your dog being connected and that relationship that you have with that dog and just going out and enjoying the trail together. Yeah, that's uh, true. And uh, just seeing them being out, out training now uh, after Christmas, we always have almost always have sun and great uh, trails and when you see how happy the dogs are for being out there uh, that, that's really something that that makes you happy what do you think for you personally and for your family what do you think are some of the things that have led to your success you know there's certainly good mentors and good dogs and good nutrition but what are some of the things that you guys focus on in your program um respecting the dogs and don't expect more than they uh, are learned to do and having a good time together you can you can never force the dog to do stuff because it must come from inside at least then if you want to have the dog for a longer period you cannot force anyone to do anything so trying to have fun all the time being together with the other masters other dogs like uh, when you when we humans play um, football soccer uh, you don't you don't um, feel that you're training hard because it's so much fun to run after the ball so it's a little bit the same thing to do things that's fun for them uh, different places different people different distance different speed just try to uh, to make the training fun and uh, the the good contact is also very important so, uh, and the respect, it's not, a dog is not the machine you can put away during the summer or anything. So, and they need to be treated very well the, yeah, all year round. Yeah. So what are some of the things, obviously we need to keep an eye on them during training sessions, and that will certainly build that relationship. What are some of the things that you do outside of training to help strengthen that relationship with the dog? Uh, like I have one uh, beside me right now and they are uh, very much free, uh, running free as a part of the training and just being free around our uh, land, the, around the house and uh, bringing them to the cabin during the Easter. Uh, if we go to grandma, we always bring one dog. So don't, don't always take the easiest solution, but try to because you will have a little bit each time you do a little bit extra, you will also get a little bit extra back. So just, um, yeah, for me, it's really important that they are family members. And I, tr I try to put myself in their position. So what would I like if I was a dog? And um, yeah, <laughs> by the time when I get older and older, I get more and more, I spoil them more and more, actually. I don't know where that came from, but I, I just want them to have, a good life 
I think it's important. And but the the the, the main thing is that what I think, uh, so what I believe in, they read our mind so very easily more than humans can read the, each other's mind so if i'm happy with what i'm doing they will be happy and if i'm stressed and don't, don't like my life they will be unhappy too so it can be very different because when i was younger i i did a lot of things differently and maybe more professionally too but right now when i have a family and we travel together and i yeah, you just find out what works for you in every daily situation, but you have to be happy about it and you have to treat the dogs right. If it think, made sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. And I think that you're absolutely correct in the sense that dogs read body language very well and they can pick up on our moods, even if we think that we're not showing that, which I think is why it's so important for us to in training to kind of keep our composure so that we don't, you know, let the dog down because they're just out there having fun. Like you mentioned earlier, they don't know if they win or lose. And so for us, it's really important if we are getting frustrated or we are getting stressed out that we do our best to control our own emotions in training and at races so that we don't impact our dogs. Mm -hmm. And we always need to have enough time to do what we are supposed to do. So, uh, for instance, uh, Andre, our son, he, um, I broke my collarbone this uh, fall, so I couldn't train. And uh, I couldn't actually help him at all because I was invalid or something. <laughs> and when he was training, he was so calm and he, he got the dogs to be so quiet without being angry with them. Just calm down have enough time to, okay, you're not, uh, you have to shut up. I'm not starting before you are totally calm. And now this winter, it's so great to see the relationship they have together and how he can handle his own team to the starting line without any help. And they are totally calm. Uh, but if you try to do this with uh, too little time and you have to be angry with the dogs all the time, it won't work. They will be even more noisy because they they think you are doing all this noise because it's fun and it's I'm just totally crazy. So yeah, and that's important too because to be to have calm dogs because we we want to be seen by people and we want to have our races maybe around hotels or places with a lot of spectators and people. And then we have then we need to be able to behave. So I think uh, it's a good thing. And I think the sport is more and more going in that, that direction. It's more calm dogs and more, um, yeah, everyone is more relaxed and still more calm or quiet. Mm -hmm. So when you're kind of planning your training season with the dogs, how, how do you balance who you're taking out? Of course, when we have multiple dogs in our home, we need to spend time focusing on each individual. How much of that time is spent on that individual versus team training? Uh, we usually, we have eight dogs, Andre and me, and we are one team. And my husband, he has about 20 dogs and, and he, he is his own team. So he trains alone and Andre and I train together. So we do a lot of uh, scooter two dogs, maybe one dog, and then we have to go multiple times because we can only bring 
three or four dogs together in one loop. So we just do it more times, but we also do uh, four wheeler uh, and especially this fall because I couldn't do anything. And Andre is out working and just, he just have certain hours each day. But we prefer to train um, most as most as possible individually because they, they, I think they get better training them. And it's easier to go longer if you go with a scooter than a four-wheeler. They get more tired to be in the lines uh, because they work so hard and they, they work too hard. And in a, in a normal bungee in front of a scooter or a bike, we can train longer. And we, we think it's more yeah, fun or good to go a little longer. When we take some breaks, taking a bath and drinking a little bit and cooling down just to see how they do. And sometimes our plan was to go like 15K and we see that, okay, today they don't look that fit. And then we turn around and some days when we are, we just take a short trip. No, okay, they are really fit today. So we don't actually know before we start the training what we are going to do. But of course we have a plan because we... Every fall, we, we write down what we do and we can go back and see if we are almost in where we should be. But I don't think it's, you can, there's a lot of roads leading to Rome, if that is an expression you understand. Yeah. So uh, it's not so important actually what you do, but you have to do what you do very well and you have to believe in it and stay with it. And it's good to listen to a lot of people and then define your own way of doing things. But I've always believed that uh, hard training is good. It will always be a benefit to, to have the solid uh, training in the bottom in the fall. So if you get, um, if you get sick, the athlete or, or the dogs or the surface like icy or something, it's not so dangerous to take a day or two off. But if you train too little, a day or two off will, uh, will make a difference. So yeah, a lot of uh, fun training. I really, I really like what you said too about going out with a plan, but then being uh, mindful about what the dog is showing you in that moment and adjusting your training plan based on how fit the dog looks. And I think that ties in really nicely with having a nice relationship with the dog when we don't push them too hard. Cause I think sometimes people will go out with a very specific training plan and then get frustrated if the dog does not seem fit enough to do that. So when you're out running with your dogs, what specific signs are you looking for from them in order to determine, yes, we can go further or no, we need to take a break? Uh, yesterday, I had a very specific moment uh, because I, I brought a dog that didn't train very much. It's my father's dog. And she was doing well for 6K. Like uh, really, wow, she's good. And then I, I stopped just to take a break and my plan was to go about around the 20K. And then I saw she was tired, really tired. And then I just let uh, all six dogs free and I went skiing back home without, with no more training because uh, crossing that limit 
would be a, such a bad experience for her. And we went to the car, I gave her some food and I put her in the car and I went out again with the others. So um, I don't know, you just, you just, if you know your dogs, you will see it. And, and it shouldn't be easy to see because then you have pushed too far. So you just have to have this feeling. And it's so hard when people ask, how do you train and why do you? It's hard because it's always the stomach feeling. When I go out there, I know what's right, but I can't tell in advance what will be right because it just, it's there when you go out. Can you talk to us for just a little bit about why that's so important to, you know, not overdo it with the dogs, how that can impact your relationship and their ideas about the sport? Because a human, uh, we can train hard in um, October because we want to, to do well in competitions in March or whenever. But the dog, they, they don't think that way. So to keep their motivation high, it must be fun and it must be a good relationship. So that's the, the hard thing. I think it, it would be possible to train dogs a lot uh, harder or more but it's the mind, the motivation. That's the, the big point of a dog because we can go on because our motivation is something we can think about in the future, what will happen in the future, but they live right now. And that's what they do. So um, that uh, we can't lose their motivation if they get tired, sick and tired of you as a musher standing behind them and telling them to go. I don't think they will perform very well. So uh, that's the main reason, their motivation. So doing different stuff and with the different friends and different speed will uh, will keep their motivation more high. Do you find that in general that motivation increases throughout the season as their fitness increases, or what do you think motivates your dogs? Um, uh, if they are in good shape, uh, they will perform better for a longer time. And you can call that motivation or you can call it just that they are in better shape. But I think it's, uh, it's all, almost the same thing. So if you train a little less, little less, little less all the time because you want to, uh, to have the really high speed for every training or something, then you get uh, the motivation or the, how fit they are would just uh, be less and less good. So... I don't know if that was actually the answer or the question, but um, it's better to keep the speed a little lower because they really like to run fast. That's what they love the most. So if you don't let them do that, you just break, especially downhill and flat and uphill. They can go as far as fast as they want. And then you can go longer because uh, it's easier for them to run uh, slower for a longer period than to run fast for a long period. And then when the races come and they're allowed to run fast, they will, they just love it. So that's how we do it in the training. We try to, um, to, to keep the speed a little lower and they will be, um, they will feel safe in the harness. They will get less injuries. Uh, in the shoulders, in um, yeah, on the feet, mm -hmm. uh, everywhere actually. So and they will feel mm -hmm. secure in the harness. And then when the race comes and they mm -hmm. are allowed to just run like hell, it's so much fun for them. I love that. When you are obviously tr spending time training your dogs, 
that relationship plays a really big role in them trusting you and you being able to trust them. How do you build up that relationship outside of training? Are you doing free running activities with them? Are you doing, you know, other forms of training with them to kind of strengthen that bond? Not very much, actually. We do free running, but that's a part of the training uh, program. Because in Norway, you can have dogs free running in the woods from um, yeah, in the middle of the fall and until the middle of the spring, it's allowed to have them free. So we use that. Uh, the dogs are out hunting birds, uh, more or less. I think they are, at least. And they run around having good times. And uh, and they yeah, we use that as a training. But during the mid yeah, the midsummer, we also rent a big, um, yeah, a big dog yard, uh, and we go there together with friends, and yeah, we just are together. Especially because, uh, yeah, it's very warm. You can't train that much, but also to be together with other to, yeah, to get to know other dogs and behave and just be socialized. Uh, and sometimes we go to the city with them. Uh, like we we meet in the city but we don't bring eight dogs though we bring one each and we we can change which dog we bring uh, and we meet others and we just go for a walk and that's not fun but for the dogs it's something new and it builds up kind of a yeah relationship with them but we don't do any agility or things like that the only thing we expect for the dogs is to be yeah, not noisy uh and not aggressive and they have to to listen they have to come when we say they are supposed to come and we are very strict on those three rules but uh uh it's not nothing more than that actually when you um when we were talking earlier about relationship you talked a little bit about how important it is to be positive how we want to encourage the dogs and motivate them is there anything that you won't allow you know yourself to do or your son to do in order to keep that positivity how do you kind of stay on that positive side and avoid that frustration um there's always dogs being better than others and some are not as good as the others so it would be smart to start with the less good dogs because at the first uh, like if you have to go three times then uh, you will be more uh, have more um, energy yourself the first lap of course so that that can be a smart move and if you have a really bad day yourself maybe you should just uh, bring the dogs inside and pet them and be together with them instead of stressing outside can also be a good solution better solution so like you said uh, i said and you said some people they just stick to their plan no matter what and that's not good you should listen to your stomach feeling but you shouldn't use it as an excuse because some people can do that too ah today we have to relax yeah today it's a little bit rain or today yeah it's always an excuse but find the, the middle way. I think uh, after some years, you find out where you should be. With your family and your training plans, you know, I think that 
it's always important when we, we talk about loving our dogs and for them being part of the family. I think for some people, especially here in America, we'll start to oversee um, the dog's needs as a dog and they treat them maybe a little too much like people. How do you guys make sure in your family that you are meeting the needs of your dogs uh, in your home to make sure that we're kind of meeting what they need as a species? I'm not, I, I'm not sure uh, that we, I don't know, Mercedes is here with me now, and if she could speak, I think she would think that she was half human, but um, if you have dogs like half humans, then, like when you have kids, if you have uh, rules, and you always follow the rules, so they know what to expect from you, like when the dogs are, I said they were spoiled, but they still know where my limits are. I don't have to say much because they know exactly where my limits are. Uh, and I think that's more important than not spoiling them. And of course, we don't give them whatever we eat. They, they get the real food and they always get the feed or water and food three times a day. And we do all that kind of needs, but uh, they are a little bit human. And if you let them be human, like my husband's dogs, they live outside. We don't take them inside the house. And it would be so unfair to bring them inside the house. And then 95% of their lives, they had to be outside again. So if you start to treat them like a little bit too much, you should uh, yeah, remember that because then they know how life can be. And, uh, and then yeah, when you don't kind of need them for training or anything, remember that they are still your family. That's important. And, and when a dog does something wrong, it's your fault because you didn't teach them well enough. But that's hard, of course. It's hard for us too. We're not perfect. We just know how it should be. So we try to, yeah, we try to, try to be better every day. Too. Yeah, I like what you said about structure and consistency. I think that's really important for dogs so that they know what to expect. Because if they don't know what to expect, that can create a little stress in their lives. And if they do know what to expect, then it's easier for us to kind of keep our schedule the same. Um, one thing that you mentioned too, you mentioned the dog doesn't do anything wrong. It just means that we have not done our end to teach them what we do want. How do you think that, how do you handle that when you're out on the trail? If a dog isn't doing something that you think they should be able to, something as simple as passing a distraction or even going a certain distance, how do you kind of keep yourself in a good mindset and evaluate that moment and then address it in your next session? Um, yeah, you can, uh, I think a good example if, is if you train with a team along a um, road, car road, gravel road or something, and you need your team to go on the right side because you can't let them run in the middle of the road. It's easy to be angry because I told you to go on the right side, but you just have to be calm, go, uh, go to the front dog, lead dogs and take them to the right side. And you start and they go to the middle and you have to do it again and again and again and again. And then in the end, they will understand. And it doesn't help at all that you get angry. And also, if you come to a turn going with the sled and they go the wrong direction, you just have to 
be calm. If you start to stress and say, right, 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 right. They don't understand what right is in the end. They just, oh, okay, the, the other right or no, this right, no, that right. It's so difficult. So the whole thing is all about being calm and not stressed. But of course, it's not easy all the time. But like passing teams, that's something we train very a lot of passings with other teams and with the all kinds of dogs, small dogs, big dogs. And we have a very good arena where we live here in Norway, the national arena for the dog sport. And all people are, many people are training there with big teams, small teams, ski during. Like I said yesterday, I was out with six dogs and I had all three. And, but then I, I knew it was only my husband out there in the middle of the day. And suddenly he came and I had all my six dogs free. And I, wow, I have all my dogs free. Uh, be aware. And then they all came back to me. I was so proud. And that's how they... Yeah, so uh, you just have to practice. Practice a lot. And it helps. And we have a lot of mass starts and stuff here in Norway. So, uh, and in Europe and in the international championships, you, you really need to practice. And when I grew up, uh, the dogs were uh, aggressive. And they would just bred the what they thought was good with another dog they thought was good because they didn't actually know the family or the whole uh, picture but now the breeding are so uh, well thought through and uh, there's so many nice dogs and they can be free all over when we go out walking in the woods in the fall we can have like 25 dogs with us and they it's no problems at all. And then uh, Andre and I, maybe we bring five dogs and all the other dogs, the 20 other dogs are from different people and we just walk together. And it's so great to see. I, I mean, that's so, yeah. If you could see me, you would see that I was smiling because that's, uh, I really like that. When dogs are happy and they are friends, that's good. And also they are training actually. Yeah. And that, that social interaction that they have where they can all be friendly with one another, I imagine helps quite a bit in something like your mass starts. We don't have a lot of mass starts here in the United States. Can you talk us through a little bit about how you prepare for something like that and kind of what your game plan is at a mass start? Um, the best thing, if you have new dogs, young dogs, or just new, or, or dogs that will um, have some reaction to other dogs, you go ski during because then you have uh, two hands free. Actually, you can have two hands free. Not possible on the sled because then you have to stop and run in front and they don't understand anything. So you just uh, you just have uh, other friends starting together with you and they are breaking and you pass them and you, you use your hands to hold the dog close to you and say no if they do something wrong in the right moment. That's really important. And I think just it's not many trainings with a young dog before they understand that, okay, we're not playing, we're running. So it's not a big issue anymore, actually. But of course, dogs are dogs. Things can happen. You will never know. And it will always be a first time for anything. But uh, there are almost no problems with the playing or uh, call them crocodile dogs or whatever. So... Uh, it's nothing it's not, not not an issue actually do you guys have more mass starts than staggered starts staggered is at one minute between 
No, 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 absolutely not. It's almost only in the in the world and European Championships. Um, so uh, we're not that used to it, but we have a lot of uh, mess training together. You know, not mass, but mess. And crazy, funny, yeah, gatherings with dogs. So we get used to it because of that. But mass, mass start is a little bit uh, special. You need a very good area for it with a very long and wide starting shoot and also a wide trail. So we don't have many places where we can do that. But for the World Championships, it's been mass starts for many years. For anybody who is looking to improve their relationship with their dog and really kind of improve their training plan with their dog, what are do you have any kind of last minute tips for them on, on something you would really recommend that they focus on? I would uh, find a friend with a dog. And if you live with one dog and you just, you don't know anyone, you go out, walk your dog and you find someone and you ask, maybe we should take, try to train together or yeah, contact the nearest uh, club or something. Because being together is so much uh, learning for the dog. Uh, you don't have to be, put your dogs in another team, but just be together and train together. That's the first step, I think. But of course, if you have a rescue dog or a dog that that's not really a, a schlutta, Mercedes is a little bit spoiled here. <laughs> uh, if you don't have a, a dog for sled dog racing or for a dog racing, uh, the, their motivation can be a little low, of course, and and lack of motivation after just some. Ah, well, minutes or case or training but then it helps a lot to get a friend coming along along and the more uh, physical uh, endurance you get on your dog the longer they will go before the motivation starts to dive down <laughs> so being together is the it's good for you too for the humans too Mm -hmm. learning how to kind of handle those distractions where you might not encounter quite as many if you're training on your own often. Mm -hmm. And um, remember to break downhills. The, the bungee should be, uh, should be all out, not uh, jumping up and down. So it's important because some people want, or most people, I guess we want to, we want to have a, fast good training and it's fun to go fast but it's so much better for the dog if you just break a little bit downhill and then they can do what they want uphill i like that lena thank you so much for joining us today i really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to talk with us about training sled dogs great it's fun to be here so until next time have fun chasing tails on the trails